uh, this is the last chapter of um, the book of Ruth that I've been looking at. Um, and as I've been going through, for those of you who uh, have come along to more than one, and this isn't your first talk from me, you know that I've been following a theme of seasons. I recognize that the stories were following through uh, with the seasons. Uh, and today's one is, is autumn. And all the other talks have fallen pretty much either before or in the season that I'm talking about. And this one falls in autumn. Believe it or not, even though the weather this week is going to look like the summer that we didn't have, uh, we are in autumn. So it's just the seasons lining up and me preaching wasn't planned. It's just how it is. And I'm very grateful that it all looks nice and beautiful and planned, but it isn't. But anyway, so we're looking at uh, Ruth 4, and uh, in particular the character of Naomi, but it's all of them really in this chapter coming together and how a story uh, gets this final, uh, bringing together in this final chapter. And the thing that really stood out for me and what I'm going to share my thoughts on with you is um, about Jesus being our kinsman redeemer. You're going to hear me say this word a lot tonight, or at least the word redeemer or redeemed or redemption. Uh, if you get bored at any point, you can count how many times I say it throughout the sermon. Um, but so Jesus being our kinsman redeemer, and that thought of what does it mean? I've been a Christian my entire life. I know the phrase Jesus is my redeemer. I probably said it at some point. But I was like, what does that really mean, saying that about him? So I'm going to share my thoughts with you, um, and I hope that they encourage you. Uh, there's something that you'll go away with, um, either challenged or just feel uh, equipped for the week ahead. But just a bit of context, because I think that's always important. And if you've not been here and you're like, oh, well, that's great. You've been going through seasons. I have no idea what you've talked about. Don't worry. I'm going to give you a brief uh, introduction. So uh, the book's called Ruth. But I think it's very much about a woman called Naomi in the story. And she starts in a winter season. That's chapter one is her winter season. She faces displacement. So her family have to leave Bethlehem and move to a place called Moab because of a famine. She then has just an extensive amount of bereavement that she experiences. She loses her husband and both of her sons, which in that culture and a context as a woman, she's destitute and without a future or any hope. It's a horrible place to be. Uh, and that's how she feels. She feels very vulnerable. She enters. She goes back to Bethlehem. And now she's really bitter. She changes her name to Mara, and she's returned hopeless. And there's a real sense that chapter one ends with that. However, in chapter one, although Naomi's facing this winter season, she does return to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law called Ruth. And we're introduced to Ruth, and the introduction that we get is just this real devotion and loyalty that she expresses to her mother-in-law, because there's two daughter-in-laws, and uh, Naomi's really trying to say, like, just go back to you. You're not from where I'm from. Go back to where you're from. It's going to make better sense for you. You could find husbands. Ruth refuses. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. So there's this real loyalty and devotion to her, and that's the winter season, and that's chapter one that ends. Then we enter into spring, chapter two, and Ruth gets proactive, and she sets out to find a way of providing for herself and her mother-in-law, uh, and she goes to basically find some food, and through the generosity of another character that we get introduced in this chapter called Boaz, Ruth brings home way more food than she could have possibly collected herself. So this guy has an incredible amount of generosity, and when Naomi finds out about him and what he's done for Ruth, she starts to see sort of hope on the horizon, because Boaz is a relative that could save them from their dire circumstances, and that's where chapter two ends in this spring. The hope's just there. Then we get into summer, 
uh, and that's chapter three, and filled with her renewed hope, Naomi hatches a plan, albeit a risky one, to get Ruth married. Uh, and, but Ruth, with her loyalty and devotion to her mother-in-law, agrees to go along and obediently follows through on this plan. Basically, she approaches Boaz and essentially says, will you marry me? Because that means now that then I will have, we will have a, a, a family, we're back into a family situation, me and my mother-in-law, and we can have children, inheritance we're provided for financially, we're no longer vulnerable uh, and in our situation. So she presents that to Boaz and says, uh, will you marry me? And he, Boaz is amazed at Ruth's boldness. And again, at her loyalty and devotion now is going even beyond what he could have imagined uh, Ruth would do for Naomi by asking him to marry her. However, and he reveals this to her, he says, I'm not your next of kin. I'm technically not the person that can do that for you. However, he promises that he's going to resolve that matter. And that's where chapter three ends, on this cliffhanger. I promise I'll help you, but I'm not the one that can do it. And it leaves us wondering what is going to happen in that story. And that's where we come to today, autumn, and where uh, we find these three characters. Now, I'm going to get uh, Grace to come up and read. She's been doing that wonderfully for the last, uh, last two. This will be your third time reading for me. But just before she um, reads, do keep coming up. I just want to explain that I've said kinsman redeemer, but the translation Grace is going to read is going to refer to a guardian redeemer. If you read in any other translations, you might see the word family redeemer or just redeemer or just kinsman. It's the same concept different words. I'm using the word kinsman redeemer because everything I've been researching and reading around this has used that phrase and it's stuck in my head. So just for the sake of simplicity in my own brain trying to juggle the two, it's going to say guardian redeemer, but it's, it's the same word, same concept. Thank you, Grace. Sure. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. If you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also require Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, One party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the, w- the woman who is coming to our town, is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, 
who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in the Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abamnadab, Abamnadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, and Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Let's just pray before I carry on. Father, we thank you for your word and that it is uh, alive, that we can learn and be blessed from it. And I just pray now that you would take uh, what I have to offer. You'd speak through me. You'd open up hearts and minds to hear from your word, that we would all walk from here knowing more of your love, knowing you as our redeemer in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our story has moved from, in the last two chapters, fields and talking about harvest to a city gate. Uh, And uh, this location um, is actually really important. Uh, One, because it's it's a place where esteemed and honorable uh, people would be. It's a bit like a city council and a courtroom. It would be where uh, matters of justice would kind of be resolved, uh, where business transactions would happen. It was like a p- public meeting place um, that's going on. So this, although it's a city gate, you, in my head when I first read it, it's like just a gate. Actually, this is a place that it's no surprise Boaz was able to find 10 elders to bring together to be a witness of what was about to happen. So there's no coincidence going on here. And basically, it's showing that Boaz wants to go through this matter in a very official way. He wants it to be above reproach, above any accusations or anything like that. It's a very official matter that's going to be dealt with. And when the elders being a witness means that they're going to validate what's happening. So any transaction that would happen if the elders are around and they've witnessed it, that validates what's, what's been done, what's been agreed. And from what transpires and what we've just read, we can see that clearly Boaz does have a very subtle plan of action um, and how he's going to approach this kinsman-redeemer topic. By biblical definition, kinsman-redeemer was the nearest male relative who was someone that could redeem what was lost, essentially. So whether that be buying back property that your, your nearest relative had to sell for whatever reason, buying a relative back out of slavery if they had to sell themselves into that or found themselves in captivity, you are to redeem them from that. And in this passage, a reference even saving the family name, so continuing the, someone who's died without producing children, continuing their family line. Uh, a kinsman was a rescuer what was from lost, rescuer from what someone had lost, with the aim of restoring them back to what they should have. 
essentially. So taking from what's been lost and returning them to what they should have. And when Boaz first approaches uh, this nearest kinsman, who we don't know what his name is, just know some guy, he uh, approaches it as a matter regarding land. Do you notice how he left out Ruth in the first bit that he phrased it? Do you want to buy back this land from Naomi? And that's something this guy's going to be interested in. And why, why wouldn't you? You're going to buy back a piece of land from your relative's widow. There's going to be no, she's too old to have kids, no expectation for you to do that. Therefore, so you're helping your relative out, but you get to keep the land yourself. That seems like a pretty sweet deal. And from his perspective of just a land transaction, he's all for it. I'll redeem it. Don't need to think about it. Don't need to uh, chat with my friends or process it for however. I'll redeem it. That sounds like a great deal for me. But there's obviously a catch. It's a package deal. It's not just Naomi's land. And Boaz reveals that to him. Basically, he's saying, whoever exercises this right of being this kinsman redeemer, of redeeming our family relatives um, lost, well, it's about to be lost land if Naomi has to sell it. Uh, you also have to continue Elimelech's family line. So you have to buy back the land and continue this family. Now this guy's placed in a bit of a predicament. He's keen there, I'll redeem it. Now all of a sudden, not so much. And I think it's safe to assume that's potentially what Boaz had intended. He declines that offer. He declines the offer because it involves marrying Ruth. And Ruth is young enough to have children, which means that any, he's going to be expected to produce an heir. So not just marrying her, but it's marrying her with the intent of having a son so that he can then inherit the land. So this is going to come at quite a high cost for him. And it highlights that the obligation of being this person that's required to be a kinsman redeemer and come in and help your family relative out, it's, it's not just something that you do. There's a cost and a sacrifice to it. And for this guy... Um, there is a cost. That land is not freely given away. Boaz doesn't say, do you want to come and look after this land for Naomi or take care of it for Naomi? He says, do you want to buy it from her? And if he then does that under now this extra buy one, get one free, sort of you've got to have Ruth included with the deal as well, it means that he's, he's going to have to sacrifice his own money to pay for this land, and then it's going to go on to Elimelech's line, which means he's going to get zero benefit from it. He's going to sacrifice money and no benefit. This kinsman would need to have a second son with Ruth in order for his own family line and his own inheritance to be continued. Or if he's already got uh, children, which we're not told where, his, where he is in his sort of uh, situation, he's going to be using some of their inheritance to purchase the land. So either he's going to have at least two sons, and that's not guaranteed, or he's sacrificing any children he does have, he's sacrificing their inheritance to buy this land for zero benefit. He's putting his own family line, or what I see is it, the cogs are like, I'm putting my own family line at risk for the sake of my relatives. And that cost is way too high and beyond what he's willing to pay. And so he backtracks on this eagerness, and he literally hands over that right of redeeming Naomi, of being this kinsman um, redeemer with the, the shoe. He hands it over. That's the validating of, I am transferring my right as this closest relative to you. You can take it on. I don't want it anymore. And so as I was reading uh, this, uh, it struck me that the cost, uh, 
although the cost was too high for him, there's three things that kind of come with being, um, with redeeming, with being this kinsman redeemer. And the first one, oh, you need to have uh, the right. So you have to be related to them. It's the first part of being kinsman redeemer. It couldn't just be like, oh, you're my mate and I need some help. All right, yeah, okay. you get the right to buying Naomi's land or the right to saving your family first. That's your right that you can do that. He had the right to hand it over, but it couldn't have happened unless he'd done that himself because he had that right to do it. The resources, so he had to buy the land. He had to have the money to afford it. It it wasn't given, like I said. And then finally, you have to have the resolve. So he clearly had the first two, and he was fine until he found out about Ruth, and then suddenly the third one was lost. He wasn't willing to sacrifice in order to buy that land. And this chapter, and I think the entire book of Ruth, points very beautifully to Jesus. Because Boaz, as this new and rightful kinsman redeemer, liberates Ruth and Naomi, comes under that as well, from their destitute and hopeless situation. And Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He's the one who rescues us from desperate circumstances and welcomes us into his family. We sang... Uh, loads of different lyrics tonight already about that. I'm very grateful uh, for Emily and the songs that she picked about being welcomed into God's family. Now, the first part, I think I need to stop. Some of you may be like, you know what, I know all of this, but I really want to just describe what Jesus as kinsman redeemer means or what I've come to because I think it's really important. But the first stop in working out what does that mean is to understand that we... That's a beautiful thing to say in the context of the fact that we all sin and we are all deserving of God's judgment and wrath, or wrath, or however you guys pronounce it here. Uh, That's where we, we, that's the starting point. But because of Jesus, we don't face God's judgment and we're welcomed into his family, but it starts from that. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Sin is missing the mark, God's mark that he puts and sets for us. It's not living the way that God purposed for his creation. Um, uh, Paul Wilson has been doing loads of, uh, he's been going through Genesis, if you want to know about uh, God's original purpose at the beginning. Please do watch uh, his talks. He's been looking very much at kind of that beginning stage. But that wasn't his purpose, how what God intended for creation and us and just everything to work together and the way he wants us to live. It's, sin is not living in that way. And the world that we live in is not living in that way. It's the hurt and the damage that we cause to either ourselves, others, and the world around us through words, actions, and even thoughts, which is why for all have sinned. Because although I might not say anything mean in a day. I might think it. So I'm, I'm not immune to sinning. None of us are. So we start at that context. Sin physically separated us from God's presence. Again, at that original, we were, desi- we were designed to be in God's presence all the time, face to face, and sin separated from that, us from that. And Romans 5 uh, it's quite harsh, but it basically describes that sin causes us to be enemies of God. That's definitely not what I want to be known as, but that's what sin can cause us to be. But like Boaz, being Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemer, Jesus is ours because he has 
the right, the resources, and the resolve to be our kinsman redeemer. So firstly, the right. He became like us. We see in, there we go, uh, John 1, it says, in the beginning was the words, talking about Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus took on human form and lived in this world. If we do not have a high priest, Jesus, we do not have Jesus, the high priest, who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. Jesus has the right to be our kinsman redeemer because of the fact that he's become our next of kin by taking on human form. He's able to empathize with us. He lived among us. He now become, he became our next of kin. And he has the resources. So he's the only one who's able to redeem. The only one that's able to make up for the fact that we miss the mark and sin has caused us to be physically separated from God. Because he lived surrounded by brokenness, surrounded by temptation, all that we have, and he remained sinless. And therefore he's the only one that can actually redeem. We're unable to do it ourselves. If we were given that task, well, we just can't. And God knows that. Therefore, he's like, I need to send someone so that you don't have to do that. It's like racking up a debt that is just beyond payable. But Jesus swoops and says, I've got you. It's on me. And like I said, the only payment that would cover the cost is Jesus, who is sinless, but suffered the punishment on our behalf. And I saw this quote, and I don't remember. uh, I skipped the quote. There it is. Uh, I don't remember where I found it, but basically it says, since sin came into the world through one man, it would retake another man to bring about our salvation and righteousness. This would require the infinite God to take on human flesh. And that was the cost. There's a cost. I said there's a cost to being a, a, a kinsman redeemer. There was a cost to that guy that we don't know. He wasn't willing to pay it. Boaz was. There's a cost to Jesus coming as our kinsman redeemer. And that cost was his life in exchange for ours. And he, thirdly, had the resolve. He was willing to pay it. He said uh, this, um, no one takes it as Jesus. No one takes it from me, but I lay down. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And if a mere man like Boaz, I love the analogies between Boaz and Jesus. If a mere man like Boaz can be willing to redeem Ruth and Naomi, and at that time with the same potentially thoughts as that other guy, like what's he going to do about his family line and it's going to cost him. If a a man is willing to do that, how much more does God himself desire for us to be welcomed into his family and want us to be redeemed back to him? This is a classic one if you've been in church for a long time, but it doesn't change how important it is. Jesus is willing because he loves us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that by believing in him, we won't perish, but have eternal life. Not for us to be condemned, but to be saved through Jesus. There wasn't a, you must do this. It's, I'm willing and I want to. Jesus' death and resurrection, 
important that those two go together, mean that we're forgiven, we're brought back into God's family. We started there and then we were separated, now we're brought back into his family, brought back into a relationship with him. And one day we're going to enter into a freedom of eternal life where there is no more temptation or sin, but just being in God's presence as he originally intended for us and created us to be. And chapter four of Naomi brings all of the, that stuff together because we see how God was weaving the story of Naomi, but Ruth's included and Boaz is included, weaving it all together to bring about a beautiful story of redemption. And when I was doing chapter two, I talked about this uh, analogy of a uh, tapestry. And hopefully that does look a little bit like a tapestry. It's really hard to find images you're allowed to show uh, publicly of tapestries. There's some weird things that came up. But anyway, tapestry. Now, Ruth could only see the back of the tapestry in the first chapter and probably half of the second chapter. And the threads look like they were all over the place. You know, she, she's bitter and hopeless. God, where are you? It looks like he's even left. He's, he's not even bothered carrying on and finishing the picture. That's all she could see was the back. And that's because she was living through the seasons. She was present in what was going on around her. She couldn't see the big picture. And she didn't realize that she was looking at the back of it, not the front. And I wonder for her if it felt like nothing happened and then all of a sudden everything happened and changed. Because in verse 13, we have both a wedding and a baby. Did it feel like, goodness me, it's all, in one chapter a lot happens. But actually God was at work throughout her entire story. We look at it from seeing the picture on the other side, the front. And we can see how God's woven this beautiful redemption story through how he's brought Ruth along, and she never left Naomi. And then Boaz comes along and is incredibly generous, and he provides a way for her, them all to be provided for and saved. But for Naomi, all she saw was that it, where are you? However, and because we've got the big picture, we see how Naomi started empty, but then literally ends in chapter four with her arms full She's got Obed. I have nothing. I'm never going to be able to have anyone to continue my late husband's line because I've lost everything. And here she is with her grandson. She couldn't possibly have imagined that in chapter one. For me, uh, this book starts with Naomi and it ends focusing on Naomi and the blessings that she's received. So she starts from bitterness and hopelessness and she returns and is then there's hope. Ten years of fruitlessness for Naomi is redeemed in one harvest in Bethlehem. The book opens with a famine and three, and three funerals and then ends with a wedding and the joy that comes from new life. Stark contrasts. So what can we learn about this besides me just talking about tapestries and what I don't really know? Uh, it's to remember that we too live three seasons which is both a good thing and a not so good thing. Because if you find yourself in a winter season, it won't stay like that. You won't live in a winter season forever. But not so good thing in that spring and summer don't last forever either. And although we live through these seasons, we have to remember we don't get to see, just like Naomi, we don't get to see how it works out. And that frustrates me because I want to know how it works out. 
I want to know what's the end. Like, will this come about? Will that work out? Is this the right thing to do? Is that the right thing? Um, anyone who knows me knows I spend a long time wanting to know whether something's going to work out way before it ever is. So that frustrates me, but I'm saying this is an encouragement that, although we don't know that if you're like me and that will frustrate you, our faith is in a God who promises to be with us throughout all those seasons. That no matter what we think or feel, he's still working away at the tapestry. We just might be looking at it from the wrong angle. And the story of throughout the book of Ruth demonstrates that God through willing hearts, it's really important, can redeem a destitute, hopeless situation into one of joy, which is what he did for Naomi. He can take those whose society judges and looks down on and casts them out and give them a place to belong in his own family, which is Ruth. And he can bless a selfless, humble heart beyond what you could possibly imagine. And that's Boaz. Now, you saw a tiny bit of the genealogy there at the end, and it looks like a slightly weird thing that's just kind of thrown in and leads to David. If any of you know much about the New Testament, you'll know Matthew 1, chapter 1, very first book of the New Testament, starts with a very long genealogy, and last time Paul preached, he told us why genealogies are important, Um, and it's part of Jesus's genealogy. He could have thought, like, where's my line going to go? You get a mention in Jesus' genealogy. Your humbleness and your selflessness is blessed beyond what you could possibly imagine. And what I want to leave you with and encourage you and what's going to be the thing that we're going to pray into for this next week is that um, although I talked about what Jesus did by coming in human form and dying and then raising again, that was him being our kinsman redeemer, but it didn't stop there. It's every single day. So when there's times when we, when we try it on our own and we fail, when we mess up, when we hurt others, when we think we can navigate life in our own strength, when we face difficulties or feel hopeless, lost, angry, when we wander away from God, insert whatever it is that we could possibly do that's the opposite of what God intends for us or wants for us, Jesus is there as our Redeemer to bring us back, to help us. That no matter what we face, he still has the right, the resources through his Holy Spirit and the willingness, he still wants to rescue, restore, and redeem us back into God's presence. And he renews and sustains us with God's grace, love, hope, peace, and joy. That's how he's our redeemer every single day. And that's where I'm going to come in to land because it's very warm. I want to pray into this uh, thing about Jesus being our redeemer. And there's five, five words I'm going to put up in a second. And I want you, well, firstly, I want you to think about what season would you say you're in? If you're spring and summer, you're probably, or autumn, you're, you know, joyful and celebrating that and great. And we want to pray into God continuing that. If you find yourself in a winter season, we want to pray God to remind you that he's with you, but where are you at in that? And then of these five words, these are all words I've used to describe Jesus as being our redeemer. Thinking about this week, and so it's not just tonight, in what area do you want Jesus to redeem, to bring you back, to restore, 
or some of these words I'm going to use? Is it that actually you're at a place where for this week, I think I need to just accept that I've heard this stuff or I've been coming to church for a little bit and I've been questioning and I'm not quite sure, but I've got to start with the accepting because that's all we have. We don't have to do anything for him. There's no like, Donald's not going to give you a questionnaire and you're going to do five-hour exam, and then when you pass, that would be like, right, you are a Christian, well done, welcome to the club. All we have to do is accept that he said, I am here to redeem you, I want to welcome me into your life. So if you're at that place, then when we, uh, when we pray, I really do want you to go, Jesus, here I am, I want to walk in a different way this week. Or is it that you need Jesus to be your rescue you're in a place where you feel like I need a rescue from this. Maybe you're in that winter season. I'm like Naomi where I feel uh, totally vulnerable, totally hopeless, and I need you to rescue me out of that because I can't see how I'm going to do it. Or is it to restore? I know all of this stuff. I've been journeying for a long time, but I feel like I've, I'm spent or I've lost a bit of sight of that. It's just words now. Actually, I need to be brought back into your presence, be reminded of how much you care for me and love me. Or to sustain. We've just prayed for a whole load of teachers and young people that are about to go back to school. Maybe we need to sustain the joy of summer all the way through to Christmas. Uh, or just you feel like you are in that summer and spring and you know, you're thinking, I don't want to come out of this. I want to sustain it. I want the closeness I feel. Uh, speaking to some of you who went on camp, you did have a close moment with God, and I can't remember which of you did come up and ask for prayer and said, yes, I'm committing my life to Jesus. I'd encourage you to pick that one to sustain you out of summer and into that next term, because that's where the real challenge is. Same for all of us. Or is it renew? A bit like Restore, maybe we are just needing that renewing. <laughs> That re-inspiring, we're feeling a bit flat. So take a moment, as the band comes up, think about Jesus, where do you want Jesus to come and redeem for you? Would you stand with me, because I want to pray for you, and then hand over to Emily. So let's pray. Father, we give thanks that you are willing, you want us to know you. You want us to experience your presence and live in that. And just pray now for each and every person in this room, for anyone that is at the point of wanting to accept. I pray, Lord, that as they make that commitment now to you in their heart, that you would equip them to walk in a new life with you into next week. Pray they would see just the difference that you can make in their lives now that they are choosing to follow you. For those of us who need rescuing, restoration, or renewing, Lord, I just pray that we would Feel that not just in our, in our minds, but in our hearts and our every day this week. That your spirit would guide. You know what each person here needs for the week ahead. I pray we would just see you move in ways that we couldn't even imagine. We'd see your hand of provision guiding us. We would know that you're walking with us.
Even if we can't feel it, we would know that you were there. Remind us of that. Surround us with people that remind us of that this week. And pray over just anyone who's, who's saying, I need to sustain this. We, we celebrate that, that they're in a place of, of you know, joy and celebration and, and in, a, in your presence. Lord, would you just continue to keep them there? Pray we'd all get to that where we're sustaining living in your presence knowing you more each and every day. By your Holy Spirit, would you bring that understanding? Bless us, I pray. Bless this week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.